0: If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 6, it's on page 449 of the Bibles that are under the chairs. And as you turn there, I want to say thanks to you for your prayers and for our words of comfort uh, that many of you have spoken and said over the past uh, week or so uh, in the recent passing of my grandmother. Um, so I'm thankful for her and her life and I appreciate how you have uh, lifted my family and and all of us up in prayer the past couple of weeks. And this morning we have a psalm before us, which is really a psalm about grief. So as I've been preparing for this sermon, uh, it's been in light of grieving uh, during this time, uh, it's been certainly interesting to have God's Word before me and to consider what He has to say about grief through the life of David and the things David shares here. So certainly, as this, has come, this text has come before us today, it certainly is appropriate, I think, for all of us to consider, what is it like to grieve, and how do we grieve, and what does it mean for us as Christians, what Psalm 6 has to say for us. So thank you, and I ask for your continued prayers, and let's look together at this psalm that is before us, Psalm chapter 6. A Psalm of David. So let me read it for us, and then we'll, we'll jump in together. To the choirmaster with stringed instruments, according to the Shimoneth, a Psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that you would take your word, that you would apply it to our hearts by the work of your spirit, that we would cling to Christ, our hope, that we would bring our our griefs, our sorrows, the things that trouble us, that we would bring those to you. And that you would, this morning, deal with us, that we might cling more closely to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When is the last time you cried? Some of you may may have cried this morning, I don't know. We can cry for a lot of different reasons. Cutting an onion can make you cry. Eating an onion, in my case, would make me cry. A stirring emotional scene in a TV show or movie can bring us to tears. Hearing a beautiful 80s love song on the radio, that's just me. A championship victory by your favorite team. Sometimes we even laugh our way into crying. More seriously, we might cry when we get injured or we're sick, or when someone we love is hurting, or when someone hurts us. These are all reasons that we might cry. But let's ask a different question this morning. When is the last time you grieved? What was that like? Though our grief is sometimes accompanied by tears, there's a lot of things I think we can cry about, but maybe there's few things that we really grieve about. Grief is associated most often with loss, whether it's the loss of a family member or friend to death, the loss of a relationship due to separation. The loss of a community when we move. The loss of a, a job. Or perhaps maybe it's grieving something that we do not have, yet desire. Grief is associated with suffering. With, so we grieve the effects of illness, the effects of sin, the presence of evil in the world, the suffering of people around the world. Grief can come when we mourn our own sins, when we regret things that we have done or perhaps something that we did not do that we should have done. As we begin to talk about these things a little bit and think about the things that we grieve about, we begin to realize that it's very likely that every one of us in here on some level is grieving about something. We may be in a different phase of grief. Perhaps something recent has happened that has brought you to grief. Or we may be in a very long process of grief. It goes on for years and years and years. And so we want to ask the question this morning, well, how do we grieve? And in ask, asking this question, we're, we're not here today to, to give some kind of magic potion that's going to make your grief disappear. So we all walk out of here, you know, laughing and smiling. Although we can still laugh and smile, of course. But it's not the goal to make it disappear today. In fact, we're going to, as we look at this psalm, we're going to see that, that God himself invites us to grieve. And that there is such a thing, with apologies to Charlie Brown, of course, there's such a thing as good grief. I said this morning, we're going to talk about what good grief is. And the first thing we're going to see is this, that good grief is a real response to real pain. David shows us here in the psalm that grief affects the whole person. Notice how he describes himself. In verse 2, he says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Again in verse 2, Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Verse 3, My soul also is greatly troubled. We see that there's a physical and a spiritual element to grief. Verse 6 and 7 continue to describe it. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Weariness, weakness, tears. These are all things that accompany us in grief. We see the reality of pain. We see the realness of suffering, that it hurts, and that grief is a real response to real pain. There are some other religions that teach that pain is an illusion of sorts, that suffering is less than real. Therefore, grief is simply just a state of mind, is something that you have to move past, that you don't want to be held back by it. But in contrast to that, to that denial of pain. The scriptures show us what we know to be true. That it's all very real. That pain, suffering, and grief. These things are very real. These things we face in this life. The Psalms are full of expressions of grief. Jesus himself wept. Grieving over the loss of his friend Lazarus. Even though he was going to raise him from the dead. He's there grieving over the loss of his friend. Later, he grieves over Jerusalem. Our Savior knew grief, just like we do. In 2 Corinthians, we're, chapter 1, we're encouraged to comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God because the pain that we face in this life is real. In Psalm 56, David notes the tender care of God in the face of such grief. He says this, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise in the Lord, whose word I praise in God, I trust I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? The hope that David had in the face of of real pain was that God kept an account, that God knew it, that His tears even were collected by God. And then He comes to the place that the place that we want to be able to come to when we grieve, when He says, "This I know, that God is for me, even when it hurts. And God, I trust, I shall not be afraid, even though we may be frightened said this morning, we, as we talk about what good grief is, we begin with the reality that pain and suffering, these things are real, and they're happening to us, and they're happening to others, and grief is a real response to it, and it's actually a proper response for God's people, and as we grieve, we begin to recognize our own helplessness to address the situation to process the things that are happening. So secondly, we're going to see that good grief seeks healing and grace from God. In the first four verses of this prayer, David speaks directly to the Lord five different times. He says his name as he's calling out to him. There's a relationship that he has with God and in his grief he seeks God. God. He pleads for him to be gracious to him, to deliver him, to save him from his troubles. And in pleading with God this way, what he's doing is he's acknowledging that it is God alone. God alone is the one who can bring healing, the one who can bring grace to his weary soul. So when we grieve well, we turn to God in our grief. And we ask him as David does here, Lord, heal me, save me. Be gracious to me. When we do this, we're testifying to a number of different realities about who God is and who we are. We're saying that we live in a broken world, that the effects of sin are are real, that the suffering happens, and that in and of ourselves, we are incapable of being able to deal with it. And we're also saying that God, in His infinite mercy, He cares for His people. That He's the one that can heal us. That He's the one that can redeem and save. And we're asking Him to intervene and to turn towards us. Verse 4, it says, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Think about for a second the the thought of asking God to turn toward us. In verse 1, the psalm begins by David asking God, in a sense, not to turn toward him. Because he's saying, God, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. We don't know all the specifics of what has caused David's grief here. There's certainly later in the Psalm there's the mention of enemies, and we see that in some of the other Psalms, so we know that David's been pursued by those who are against him. And they're involved. Yet in verse one, David here is confessing his own sin. And we're not sure specifically what it is. It may just be general confession, but it might be intertwined with all these things that are going on with the enemies. What we do know is all that has kind of come to the forefront and has brought about tremendous pain and grief for David. And so he sees that the hand of God is upon him. And it's the hand that brings discipline, the hand that brings wrath. But yet it's the same hand that also brings comfort to His people. And so it's in that context of relationship He has with God that He appeals to God to be merciful and gracious to Him. And then in verse 4 He says, Turn, O Lord. Deliver me for the sake of Your steadfast love. He appeals to God's character. He appeals to God's faithfulness, to His covenant love for His people. Yet He also appeals to the relational status he has with God. It says, turn and act for the sake of your steadfast love. Because you love me, turn to me. Imagine for a moment that you're a child again and children, you don't have to imagine very far because you are one. But imagine you, you fall down. You kind of face plant right there on the ground. And you're kind of right there with your your parents, and you reach out and you tug their leg. Dad, turn. Mom, turn. Help me. I've fallen down. Please pick me up. I think that's the picture we have here of David. He's down. He's fallen. And he's tugging at his Father in heaven. Please rescue me. Please pick me up. Turn to me and heal me. I think a question we want to ask is we think about applying this today is where do we go first when we grieve the temptation in a time of grief is perhaps different for all of us maybe it's the temptation is isolation you know if i just kind of go be by myself and i block out everyone and everything else then maybe i'll get through this maybe it's not isolation maybe it's idolatry if I turn to something else that can at least dull the pain or maybe distract me, then maybe I'll feel better. Maybe I'll make it through this. But what we eventually find is that both isolation and idolatry, they ultimately leave us at the end of the day still in pain, delaying grief perhaps, and certainly distracting us from its true purpose. And what we need to see, as we see in Psalm 6, is that God is calling us to himself. And he's calling us to seek him as an individual, but also as part of God's people. The heading to the psalm in Psalm 6, to the choirmaster with which stringed instruments according to the shimineth. And I don't know what that means, but it sounds like a good tune, right? God's people were to take up this song of grief together. This was something they would have sung in worship. You see, there are no one-man bands in God's kingdom. That we're called to seek Him. And as we do, we are to seek Him by going to be with His people. To worship. And sometimes just to sit together. And to weep, to comfort, to be comforted. For God is with us. God is for us. He will not leave us or forsake us. So we pray that Cornerstone continues to be a place where you and I can come do that. Where we can rejoice together, as the Scripture says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Also to mourn with those who mourn. To weep with those who weep. That we will be a place that we can do that together and point one another to Christ. So good grief seeks after God. It goes to Him first. Saying, God, whatever this is, I don't have it. But you do, and I entrust myself to you. The third thing we want to see today is that good grief asks questions. There's a couple of questions that David asks here, and there's one, one in particular I want to focus on this morning because I think we, this is the one we ask most often. And it's the more spiritual way of saying, are we there yet? It's the question, how long, O Lord? We asked this question earlier in the service with the, the lament from Psalm 13. Grief and whatever has caused or brought about our grief can be long lasting. Maybe you've been in a situation where something happened to you several years ago and you still you still feel the effects today. You still think about it when you wake up. It still kind of in some ways has stayed with you. Maybe you're dealing with a long term illness. Maybe there's a relational struggle that goes back years and it continues to bring about grief to your soul in different ways. And so you find yourself, along with David, asking the question, how long? And the question really is, how long until God will do something about this and intervene? This question is asked not just once in the Scriptures, but many times. We see it in Job. We see it in the Psalms. We see it through the mouths of prophets like Habakkuk. It's even asked, the questions asked even in the book of Revelation. And that's when John's looking toward the end. He's still asking the question, how long, O Lord? Habakkuk 1 is a great example, and that's a, that's a great book to maybe read alongside this psalm. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? When we ask this question, how long we're, we're asking something that's very biblical to ask. Because we are asking God to act. and We are trusting that he will do so. Implicit in the question is that we're asking God. And we know that God is the one who can actually resolve it. That he is the one who can come and intervene and do something about it. That he is sovereign over all things. That he is ruling and reigning over this world. And ruling and reigning over our hearts that He knows our hurt, our grief, our pain and yet He does not immediately lift us out of it or immediately remove it. We think about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He's, he's given a thorn. He's given something painful and he asked three times for God to remove it. And the response he gets, it's in red letters, right? Because Jesus comes and says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, God's response to our how long question often has more to do with what He's doing inside of us with the pain and the suffering and the grief. As He is driving us to depend fully and solely upon Him in His sufficient grace. Earlier this year, I went to uh, a conference, drove up for a day uh, to hear my uh, pastor from childhood, Joe Novenson, a wonderful man who's had a tremendous impact on me, uh, to hear him speak at the conference. And his his talk that day was about how we are to respond when God intentionally sends us suffering. And what do we do when we know the difficulty is coming from the sovereign hand of God and that there is a purpose with it. Here's what he said, and this, uh, this quote has stuck with me over the last several months. God's holy purpose and dedication to get you to trust Him and nothing else hurts like heaven, feels worse than hell, because heaven wants you to change and hell hopes Never will see, friends. God is doing something inside of us when He sends grief our way. It is particular, it is purposeful, and it's intended for us to trust Him more than we did before that grief entered our life. And it can hurt, but the one who has sovereignly ordained this in your life is also the one who draws you near to bring healing your soul. John Calvin puts it this way, and as we know that the design of God in inflicting punishment upon us is to humble us, so whenever we are subdued under his rod, the gate is open for his mercy to come to us. Besides, since it is his particular office to heal the diseased, to raise up the fallen, to support the weak, and finally to give life to the dead, this of itself is sufficient reason why we should seek His favor that we are sinking under our afflictions. So this morning, we, we see the reality of pain and grief. We seek the Lord. We bring our grief to Him. We ask questions because He, he invites us to. And finally, we'll see here that good grief, trust in God to respond and to act. So how does God respond to David's prayer? How does God respond to David's grief? Verse 8 The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. And therefore my enemies are put on notice. And I can't help but have the picture as the psalm closes of you know one of these giant blockbuster movies. You know, and there's, there's someone who's down and out and they're They're kind of like crouching and they're bracing themselves because the enemies are coming in and they're surrounding them and the enemies are about to kind of strike their final blow, but then all of a sudden, boom, Captain America, right? Or whoever it may be, enters into the picture, bringing protection, delivering the one who is in trouble. And the enemies, they're turning tail and they're running. They're fleeing for their lives because the hero has shown up. And He's here to save the day. As the psalm ends, we see that the Lord has heard our pleas. That He's heard our tears. That He's accepted our prayers. Therefore, sin is put on notice. Death is put on alert. Satan is chased back into the shadows. Because in our grief, when these enemies close in on us, they flee because the Lord comes and He intervenes and He is with us. This I know, Psalm 56 says, that we read earlier, that God is for me. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And thus this psalm of grief ends in hope. Because the Lord responds. He has counted our tears and put them in His bottle. He has heard our weeping, our prayers. He demonstrates His steadfast love for His people. Earlier we asked the question, how how long, O Lord, And as specific sufferings come into our lives, we don't get a date put on our calendar for when these things will come to an end. But we do know that the Lord is with us, that the Lord is for us, that the Lord hears us in our grief. And we know that ultimately the answer to the question, how long, we know the answer is not forever, right? So our Lord Jesus came and he lived here among us and he suffered. He faced the intensity of the tempter in the wilderness for 40 days, to the point of every kind of exhaustion. Hebrews 5, 7 says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus faced the scorn of his family, the betrayal of friends, the physical pain of persecution, the beatings, the cross, the pain of separation from his father, and death itself. Yet today we pray this psalm of grief with hope. We declare our trust in the Lord to hear us because those things were not the end for Jesus. He rose from the grave, triumphing over sin and death and hell. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. And He doesn't sit idly because He intercedes for us. The book of Hebrews tells us, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Later it says, Therefore he had to to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then in Hebrews 4, it says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may find mercy And receive grace to help in time of need. So friends, this morning know that He he hears you. That He knows you. That He loves you. That He has suffered for you. That He is with you. That He has conquered sin and death and hell for you. Whatever may come, we look ahead with hope, don't we? Knowing that the day will eventually come. But we hear the words of Revelation 21 ringing in our ears. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. This is good news. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you invite us, broken as we are, to come, to worship, to sing praise to you, to tug on on you and say, pick me up, to seek you in our grief, to ask questions, to trust in you. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you for The comfort we have, the hope we have through Christ, who gave himself for us and rose victorious over the grave, over sin, over evil, over death. And we look forward to that day where we are with you forever, where we no longer ask the question, How long? but we rest in peace because of what you have done for us in Christ. And we worship and we praise you for eternity as you will call us to. So Lord, we now sing in response, asking that you would hold us fast. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.